All right. Yeah, the best day of his life. That looks like the worst day of anyone else's life. And free climbing Yosemite, that seems impossible. But you know what else is impossible? John and Camille beating Ricky and Rob. Our Southies will take them. By the way, I opted out this year. I know you couldn't tell from the video because I was acting so hard. I looked genuinely disappointed, but actually Kenny Green at Central and, and me, I wanted to be here with you on, on, on that Sunday. By the way, we, we, Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday used to be one of our lowest attended Sundays of the year, even though the game's not till five o'clock. And then we started making fools of ourselves and now suddenly it's one of our biggest days. So go figure. But actually we've run, we're running out of Super Bowl flyers, so get some today. We'll have some back for next week. Invite your friends, it's gonna be great. But I actually saw the film, the documentary, about that climb. It's called Free Solo. And it's not a fun movie if you're struggling with anxiety. Watching him climb for four hours, the whole documentary is not four hours, but watching that climb that took four hours, almost a mile high on El Capitan. El Capitan, now that's a screensaver, not a mountain to climb, in my opinion. And but he did it. And, and what he describes is the only way to be able to do is he actually practiced each movement. He'd gone up 50 times with a rope and he had it in a journal and he would actually visualize every step up the mountain, all the hard steps. And as a result, fear and hesitation were unable to take root for him to be able to take it. What if we could develop hopes habits, habits that actually help us move towards a default of joy and peace? That seems odd, huh? I was in my life group this week and we were talking about moments when you felt most at peace. One guy said, racing cars. And that did not seem to make sense. Another said, uh, mountain bike riding. And they both described an experience where they can't think about anything else but what they're doing. And it's when they find themselves at peace. And see, sometimes you and I, we're inundated with so many thoughts and so many negative thoughts that hope seems like the least likely of options in our life. But what if we can develop a muscle memory in our mind that, that has habits that actually produce joy and peace? And it's actually possible when we practice spiritually. Now, I wanna recap the series because every week kind of builds on itself. The first week, which by the way, if you ever miss a, a message, you can always go to our Gateway South Facebook group page and we post a link that has the audio from here, the notes for the message. And it's the same message you could, if you're at home, uh, you're sick, we say come as you are unless you're contagious. If you're ever sick on a Sunday, you can watch online, you're seeing the, the, the North Campus service, or you can go to my website where we put the notes as well, it's the same link. But in week one, we looked at how our spiritual beliefs actually influence our thoughts, our self-talk. And what we focus on actually matters because our thoughts literally change our brains physically. Eric Kandel, a Nobel Prize winning neuropsychiatrist, discovered how our thoughts, even our imaginations, can get under the skin, that's his phrase, of our DNA, and can turn certain genes on and certain genes off, changing the structure of the neurons in the brain, which means if you have a genetic predisposition towards anxiety, that doesn't mean you have to keep activating those particular genes. Now, we made a disclaimer in week one, I want to repeat it even now, that sometimes prescribed medications under the direction of a licensed counselor, a therapist, is part of the healing process. 
So I don't want you to think, oh, I just went through that series. I don't need to go to a counselor anymore. No, no, no. Keep going to your counselor. Some of you, your next step is to find a counselor to augment the process of healing. It's just like a crutch. Sometimes you need a crutch to let a a leg mend. A, A counselor or medication can be part of the process for mending. But what we're looking at in this series is changing the ruts in our physical brains, or as the scriptures call it, we're renewing our minds so that our default isn't anxiety, that our mind and our soul isn't just opting to feel overwhelmed, feeling like it's impossible to follow God's spirit, but instead, through an ongoing relationship with God's loving spirit, we allow him to begin to guide our thoughts and our emotions, to stay in line with God's reality. So that our soul, our mind and emotions are ingrained in our body, new habits that assist us in experiencing peace and joy. Now, science has proven that our brains, which may be wired for anxiety as a default, can be rewired to assist us in hopeful habits. There's a book that came out called The Power of Habit. And in that book, there's a story of a woman named Lisa Allen who replaced smoking with jogging. And a lot of other changes began to cascade from that one change. But when researchers began examining images of Lisa's brains, they saw something remarkable. One set of neurological patterns, her old habits, had been overridden by new patterns. They could still see the neural activity of her old behaviors, but those impulses were crowded out by new urges. As the scripture said, we can renew our minds. Our default doesn't have to be anxiety. Our default can become hope. And last week, we looked at a four-step practice to renew our minds, to overcome out of control and anxious thoughts. And so today, we're going to not just react to those anxious thoughts that come, where we take them captive, as we talked about last week, but this week, we're looking at being more proactive of developing habits that actually can move us towards a default of hope. So how do we do this? Well, let's listen a little bit more to Alex, our free solo expert. The thing that makes El Cap so intimidating is the sheer scale of the wall. Most climbers take three to five days to ascend the 3,000 feet of vertical granite. The idea of setting out up a wall of that size with nothing but shoes and a chalk bag seemed impossible. 3,000 feet of climbing represents thousands of distinct hand and foot movements, which is a lot to remember. Many of the moves I knew through sheer repetition. I'd climbed El Cap maybe 50 times over the previous decade with a rope. But this photo shows my preferred method of rehearsing the moves. I'm on the summit, about to rappel down the face with over 1,000 feet of rope to spend the day practicing by myself. Once I found sequences that felt secure and repeatable, I had to memorize them. I had to make sure that they were so deeply ingrained within me that there was no possibility of error. I didn't want to be up on the wall wondering if I was going the right way or using the best holds. I needed everything to feel automatic. Climbing with a rope is a largely physical effort. You just have to be strong enough to hold on and make the movements upward. But free soloing plays out more in the mind. The physical effort is largely the same. Your body is still climbing the same wall. But staying calm and performing at your best when you know that any mistake could mean death requires a certain kind of mindset. That's not supposed to be funny, but, but it is, it is. <laughs> I work to cultivate that mindset through visualization, which basically just means imagining the entire experience of soloing the wall. Partially, that was to help me remember all the holds, but mostly, visualization was about feeling the texture of each hold in my hand and imagining the sensation of my leg reaching out and placing my foot just so 
So if you want to climb El Capitan, what you do is... <laughs> but actually, you can take some of these principles in our own life. I mean, did you hear what he, he described? Automatic habits through repetition, through memorizing, through visualizing. And the scriptures talked about memorizing scriptures, renewing our mind, actually developing hopes, habits. And we're looking at a particular passage from the scriptures in Philippians. And just to give you a little bit of context, it was written by a man named Paul, who actually had planted this church in a city of Philippi. And now he's in jail because Paul was declaring that Jesus is Lord. And and what that equivalent would be is saying Jesus is Yahweh. And a lot of people did not like that. They, They felt threatened by that. And so he was in jail. So the Philippians thought, first of all, that's bad. Our leader's now in jail. So they sent their pastor to take care of him, and then he almost died. That's not good. So they're super nervous wrecks. And then they're in the midst of this controversy with these Judaizers. See, the Judaizers believe that in order for you to become a follower of Jesus, first, you must be Jewish. You need to be circumcised. In the end, they did not win that argument, thank goodness. If you can imagine trying to lead someone to faith, and they say yes, and then saying, I gotta ask you a question. It's a little awkward, but. But in the end, they're in the midst of this controversy. Their pastor's almost dead. Their, their founder is in prison. And in the midst of that, he comforts them with these words Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, Paul had a peace that transcended his circumstances and even found himself as an encouragement to people in spite of his situation. In fact, the book of Philippians uses the word joy or rejoice more than any other letter in the Bible. It's filled with joy, and yet he's writing from jail. Now, there are two practices that we find in this passage and throughout the scripture that if we were to implement would help us develop these habits that build towards hope. The first is contemplative prayer, also uh, known as meditation. It's this idea of dwelling on God's good gifts in prayer. And the second is gratitude. Neuroscientist, Dr. Caroline Leaf, who we've referred to before, a follower of Jesus who also has done a lot of research, talks about how most of our outward behavior and action is habitual and non-conscious. She talks about how our brains are turned on 24-7. Your mind is processing all the time, independent of our conscious mind. In fact, 60 to 80% of the energy usage by the brain is independent of any stimuli. That means when you and I are sleeping, our mind is still continuing to sort and process. So there's something deeper, intuitive things are going on in our brain. And that's what hope's habits actually go after. Listen to what she says. What we consciously think And what we say and do is all driven by the information and activity in the non-conscious mind. So the non-conscious mind is the roots of all our words and actions, and we choose with our minds what these roots will be. 
given what science is discovering, think how marvelous God's word is written 2,000 years ago. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your hearts and your minds. In other words, your emotions and your thoughts. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel it, it does not mean it's true. But we can realign with God's heart, with God's thoughts that he would help guard our mind and our hearts with his peace. And God understands things about life that we do not understand. He understands things about us that we do not understand. So let's talk a little bit about contemplative prayer or meditation. Now, again, a disclaimer. For some to even sit still and practice this, you're going to need the help of a counselor, a therapist, a psychiatrist to help you with these new practices. We're addressing this series holistically, your spirit, your soul, and your body. But meditation and contemplative prayer is a practice. It's actually living out what Philippians 4 says. Here's how one version of verse 8 is translated. It says this, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, we have about 40,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts. And if you take captive and negative thought, you can keep those thoughts from wandering into the darkness. And the filter that we should use is described in Philippians 4.8. I described it last week took these words, tried to make an acrostic, and the best I could do was paplanter, right? And it's a great word because you're actually planting. What you sow is what you reap, uh, is what Jesus says. The thoughts that you're having actually produce how you feel and actually produce the decisions that you make. And so paplanter, is the thought you're having pure, praiseworthy, lovely, admirable, noble, true, excellent, or right? If it isn't, take that thought captive, Review what we talked about last week. You hand that thought back to God. You surrender that thought. Don't allow yourself to wander into the dark. And when you find yourself in that darkened alley of negative thinking, then stop then, even if you had let yourself go for too long. See, other translations use the phrase, dwell on these things or ponder on these things. See, this is biblical meditation. It's about intentionally slowing down and relaxing. Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind. This is about filling your mind with what's true, with who you are, who God says you are, who God is for you and me. Uh, Jenny's husband, Paco, a couple weeks ago asked in the series, are we going to talk about meditation? And I told him we would in, in a couple weeks. And he, he gave this great little exercise that I've been using ever since. It's, it's just taking this one verse, Psalm 46, verse 10, it says this, be still and know that I am God. You can actually practice this as a form of meditation, just breathing in, be still, and breathing out, and know that I am God. Just calming yourself, reminding yourself of what's true, rather than being overwhelmed with negative thoughts and all that needs to be done. It's about quieting your mind, not emptying your mind, but filling your mind with the scriptures, with what's true. 
pondering all that God says is true and good and right, dwelling on these positive thoughts, allowing them to saturate our minds and our hearts, rooting into our minds, really communicating into that deeper intuitive core. As I mentioned last week, there are several verses I began to memorize as a new follower of Jesus that God has used to help me as someone who comes from a long family of people who are anxious. Now, the men, we don't describe ourselves as anxious. We're just angry. Uh, But it's actually anxiety behind it. It's an inability to control the people around us. And you can imagine, if everybody in your extended family has control issues and they're all trying to control each other, it can get a little heated, especially during charades. But here's a verse that I memorized that has helped me so much over the years. It's Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed on you. This is a prayer. Isaiah was praying to God, saying, you, God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all those thoughts whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's this idea of saying, okay, then I want to be that person. So God, help me keep my mind on you. Help me to trust you. See, there are two purposes in contemplative prayer, meditation as a spiritual discipline. The first is to attach emotionally and intimately to our loving Heavenly Father, to a God who loves us, to actually seek God for his own sake, even if you don't experience anything. And second of all, the reason we do this practice is it can transform our character by learning to center and calm ourselves, to focus without distraction on the truth of God and meditate on God's good gifts and to experience anxiety leave and be replaced by peace and joy. In week one, we referenced a book that's coming out in May by Dr. Moreland, a professor. It's a book called Finding Quiet. And in that book, he references a study that showed that 15 minutes of this sort of meditation every day, this focused prayer each day for just eight weeks actually can change the bad grooves in our brain enough to be detected by a brain scan. And that's why learning to spend time in what is true can be so important. The more you know about what's true about God, the more you know about how God feels about you, the more you will be able to actually recenter and reorient your thinking. That's why knowing the scriptures is so important. We're, we're about to do uh, next Sunday at four o'clock a, a workshop. I'm going to do it called Understanding the Bible. In about an hour and a half, we're going to go through the entire thing, or at least the parts you need to know to get started. I referenced a couple weeks ago, if you were to read one chapter a day in the New Testament, Just on the weekdays, you would finish in a year. Now, we're mid-January, so you might have a few Saturdays you'll need to catch up. But just saturating your mind in the scriptures. In fact, some of you are sitting on a card, or maybe you moved it. But this card right here, every other seat should have one. Pick one of these up before you go. Because in it, it will list different options for spiritual growth, including life groups. Some of those life groups will be in February. We're doing a series called You Belong Here. And we're going to be using um, a book I wrote a few years ago. Uh, We reissued it, a 10th anniversary edition. It's called Not Like Me. And many of those life groups will be reading that book and doing the next steps from our series called You Belong Here. Or maybe it's joining up with Alpha. It starts today at 4 o'clock. It's an eight-week course, free dinner, talking about things that are incredibly meaningful and the biggest questions that we have in life. All these are listed on here, along with 
classes and opportunities. But jumping in and understanding the scriptures, understanding who God is, can help you with reorienting. See, science has proven that with meditative prayer, with slowing down, with directed rest, centering on true thoughts, that you are sowing hope's habits into your non-conscious mind. You're rewiring the default state. So how do we meditate? How do we pray contemplatively? Dr. J.P. Moreland shares a process that he practices. And we're actually going to take a little bit of time together to experience it briefly, if you'd like to. It's five steps. I'm going to just say them quickly, and then we'll walk through them more slowly. But first, you find a comfortable, quiet, private place that you can regularly use. Second, you spend a few minutes relaxing your body and your mind. Third, you focus on God's truth and God's goodness. Fourth, you engage with God. You love God. And five, you keep recentering. So I want to invite you to try this with me, even in this moment. It's a short time of contemplation. We're not going to do all 15 minutes that we were prescribed earlier. And we're going to do it in our seats. And you're saying, well, wait, you said a comfortable and quiet, private place. Well, we're going to just make do in this moment. And some of you already practice this in your life and know how to physically engage. And some of you, this will be a bit of a stretch, and that's okay. I want to just encourage you to try it. If you're here and you're like, okay, wait a minute, I just came for the tacos, uh, uh, then you don't have to participate. Just sitting still in the midst of this is a, a wonderful way to help the rest of us. All right, so here's the first, all right? Find a comfortable and private place, quiet, that you can regularly use. Right now, where you're seated. All right, number two. Spend a few minutes relaxing your body and mind, all right? So just as much as you can, just relax. Could be adjusting your posture. Could be straightening your back. It could be taking a, a, a big breath and breathing out. Could be opening your hands in your lap. Or if you feel comfortable or if it helps you concentrate, just closing your eyes. If you feel any tension in your body, just let go. And even just ask God to bring peace to your shoulders or to your back. Now, focus on God's truth and God's goodness. We're just going to use a verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. It's on the screen if you need to see it. It's this verse, another one I memorized years ago that's been a great help to me. It says this, cast all your anxiety on him, on God, because he cares for you. Now, just in your own seat, in your own way, just pray that verse as a prayer. Something like, Jesus, you care for me. I'm giving you this worry, this anxiety. You care for me. I lay this at your feet. Just in this moment, just cast all your anxieties on him in the silence. Express your trust to him to guide you as you surrender to him. If your mind is wandering or if someone keeps interrupting like me, just say it again. Lay it down again. Invite God's peace. Focus on God's truth and his character.
There's a promise in the scriptures in Proverbs 3 that tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will guide your paths. Just in this moment, trust in him. Moving from surrendering your worries to now acknowledging how good he is, how you can trust him. Number four is is love God. Receive God's love for you. God tells us that you are beloved. Focus on that word, beloved. You are loved by God. The messages around us tell us the opposite, that we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we're messed up too much. And these lies might start coming in and distracting, but grab them, cast them, those aside and focus on God's truth. Refocus your mind on what's true. You are loved by God. He created you on purpose and with a purpose. Connect with God and his love for you. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Final step is keep recentering to rest in God's peace. Maybe taking that deep breath and exhaling. Be still and know that I'm God. Just thank God in this moment in your own heart for this time. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we might become people who are known because of how much peace others see in us, how much joy others see in us, how much hope others see in us. God, help us to develop these practices. This is not the default in our culture, in our world. May we become people who are devoted to spending time with you, seeking after you, even when we don't feel like it, even if the feelings don't come, that we would be faithful in that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's debrief. All right, so some of you chose not to engage. That's all right. You were thinking, oh, finally, a little bit of time to send some emails. That's okay, that's great. We're just so glad that you were here and honoring what we were doing. And some of you may have connected with God in a significant way. You might have had a whisper in your mind that that is not a normal thought you had. That could be God's voice. Celebrate that. Share it with someone later today. Some of you may have dozed off. You haven't had that much quiet in years. And that's okay too. Remember, this just takes practice. I remember one time when I was in college, I decided I was gonna spend all night praying. And about 30 minutes after I got started, I fell asleep and woke up nine hours later, very disappointed. And I actually had this thought in that moment, I was so disappointed and I had this thought, 
which I think was a, a whisper from God. And the thought was this, hit singles, stop swinging for home runs. I'm a simple person. I need a baseball analogy to understand. Don't go weeks without praying and then pray all night. <laughs> Just start learning to connect with God a little bit every day and then grow from there. Others of you might have been uh, experiencing a lot of wandering of your mind. Again, that's okay. It, it takes practice and, and reorienting. And, and maybe it's a phrase, peace be still, or saying the name of Jesus that can help bring you back to where you're trying to be, to dwelling and meditating on God's truths. And if you don't feel like you connect in a life-changing way, that's okay too. Just keep practicing. Transformation happens over time as we practice meditation, as we experiment with these steps. The key is knowing that if you start to do this on a regular basis for two to six months, it can become a regular part of your life. Remember, it's not about emptying your mind. It's about filling your mind with what's true. Paplanter, what's Pure and praiseworthy, lovely, admirable, noble, true, excellent, and right. Dr. Gail Ironson is a researcher and professor of psychology and psychiatry at the University of Miami, and one of her studies discovered that our spiritual beliefs practiced in our self-talk and daily lives, how we dwell on what God says is true, good, and right, affects our physical bodies and brain. I mean, how many times have you heard stories of people who because of prayer, found healing. And even before the actual physical healing, found emotional and spiritual healing. See, we use our imagination to fret and worry about the future. Why not use our imagination to ponder what's true according to God, to imagine a more beautiful future, acknowledging a God who deeply loves us. Keep bringing your mind back to how much he loves you, telling him how much you love him. Don't force it. Just rest and experience peace. Now, the second practice is maybe even harder. It's called gratitude. Remember, the passage said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, to, to actually be grateful. Go to God with gratitude. My mentor, the pastor of the church I was a part of for 13 years in Los Angeles, his name is Erwin McManus, and he used to say this, Gratitude is being thankful for what you have and not mad about what you don't have. See, some of us meditate on what we don't yet have instead of being thankful for what we do have. Now, are you guys familiar with the reticular activating system? Have you ever heard of this? It's a network in your brain that tells you what to see and what to ignore. See, we're bombarded with information all the time. And actually, the reticular activating system is what brings to the forefront what you want at the forefront. So for example, if you're thinking about buying an electric car, suddenly you see electric cars everywhere because you've told your brain to bring it to the front. Or, or for those of you who grew up with a sibling, I had a little brother, we played slug bug. I never saw Volkswagens until we started seeing, seeing Slugbug with the opportunity to hit my brother. Slugbug yellow. Right? Suddenly they were everywhere. And I wanted them to be everywhere. All right? So this is why the Bible talks so much about gratitude. Filled with exhortations to be grateful to God and express thanksgiving to him. Because we need a healthier perspective of what is actually real to bring to the front of our mind gratitude. First Timothy says it this way, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Give thanks, First Thessalonians 5, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. 
Do we have things in our lives that are obstacles to gratitude? We can have a victim mentality, a history of suffering. We can fall into the trap of comparison, or the inability to acknowledge dependency on others, or have a habitual tendency to be negative and to worry. But we have to remember that gratitude is not primarily a feeling, it's actually a choice. It's an act of faith to see God's good gifts and thank him for it. And if done daily, you'll begin to see great progress in just a few months. You'll start to notice more and more things to be grateful for. So here's a few quick practices to try. I'm gonna say them quickly, the practices aren't quick. Said that wrong. Here are a few uh, practices to try. One, start a gratitude journal. I did this in college. And I thought, man, I never see any miracles. And then I started writing down miracles. And one day I had to just stop writing because I was just overwhelmed with all the things that are miracles. It's a miracle that I can breathe. It's a miracle that I was born when I was born and lived where I was lived. I even liked my parents that day. It was like the first time in my life. I was grateful for them. But starting a gratitude journal, you might be overwhelmed if you just give in to it. Just write down five things. The next day, try to write down five more. Here's another one. You'll like this one. Use your phone. All right, use your phone. Maybe it's on your notes or set an alarm to go off every hour just to, to write down something you're grateful for. Type it into your notes. Or finally, go, imagine going without. Just holding that cup of coffee you take for granted. Just imagine going without. All of a sudden, you are grateful for that coffee. Right? Being grateful for that car that you take for granted. So much we take for granted. A sunset. Boy, we had a beautiful sunset the other day just reminded of God's goodness and creative power. Dr. King, whose birthday we celebrate this weekend, said, only in the darkness can you see the stars. Even being grateful for the darkness. Life is an invitation to gratitude. I want to show one last clip of our free solo climber, Alex. Watch this. On June 3rd, 2017, I woke up early ate my usual breakfast of muesli and fruit, and made it to the base of the wall before sunrise. I felt confident as I looked up the wall, and felt even better as I started climbing. About 500 feet up, I reached a slab, very similar to the one that had given me so much trouble on Half Dome. But this time was different. I scouted every option, including hundreds of feet of wall to either side, and I knew exactly what to do and how to do it. I had no doubts, I just climbed right through. Even the difficult and strenuous sections passed by with ease. I was perfectly executing my routine. I rested for a moment below the boulder problem, and then climbed it just as I had practiced so many times with the rope on. My foot shot across to the wall on the left without hesitation, and I knew that I'd done it. You know, I should have said this at the front. Disclaimer, do not try this at home or anywhere. But the idea is develop these habits, meditation, contemplative prayer, and gratitude you'll be amazed at the transformation that happens in your life. Now, speaking of gratitude, I just want to give a, a quick update to our Gateway family that's here. Uh, it's about our year-end initiative. At the end of every year, we give generously, and, and together we've been able to give and help all sorts of amazing projects. We built a hospital in India. In fact, a team just returned from India that was there. We've helped refugees just a couple years ago. And this December... Your generosity meant we gave more in the month of December than any other month in the history of our campus in the last 10 years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And know that it, with your generosity, what you give is making a real difference, not just here in this building, but in our city and downtown and across the planet. And then we always do something kind of above and beyond. 
And this year, the initiative above and beyond was the 1% challenge, trying to fund two new campuses in Pflugerville and Buda. We called it Everyone Life by Life or the 1% challenge. And about half of what we hoped for came through. And we're grateful for those of you who gave basically 1% of your income over the next year, above and beyond what you already give, towards these initiatives. Now, we have... Uh, by the way, it's not too late to jump in. In fact, in the last week, another $100,000 towards our $800,000 goal came through, which you can give at gatewaychurch.com challenge. So here's what we're going to do, because only half of what we needed has been committed so far. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, wait and see by the end of the month if we get all of it so we can still launch this fall. If we don't, then we're going to have Jesse, our campus pastor in Pflugerville, uh, in Buda, and John, our campus pastor in Pflugerville, compete at the... Super Bowl, and whoever wins gets all of it. I'm just kidding. That, that would be, no, I'm just kidding. No, we're just going to wait and see what comes in. It could be delaying and actually planting these campuses maybe at this time next year. But there's already momentum in both of these locations. We, they did events over the Christmas holidays, and both had big crowds, and half of which are not connected to any church whatsoever, and we're grateful for a place like Gateway. So jump in to be a part of that. If we all give what God puts on our heart, I know we'll have plenty to do all that he wants us to do here and in these new places. Hey, would you pray with me as we finish our time together? God, we're so grateful that you invite us to experience a life of gratitude. God, may we be people with open hearts and open hands, surrendering our thoughts, our anxiety, our lives to you knowing that you love us and can be trusted and want to give us peace and hope. May we become those people who bring peace and hope and love and joy to the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.